Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Dylan Carnival. I'm the Browncroft staff and producer of the show. I'm joined today by our host, Peter Englert, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, the New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. And today we have a guest, April Ho. She is a clinical dietitian and personal trainer and also a member at Browncroft. Today we're talking about why God why did you have to give me this body? Peter and John, take it away. Man, this this topic, so we are recording this in the first week of our Lord 2020. 2020. 2020. That's right. And um, you know, by the time some of you are listening to this, you will this could be a good motivator for your you know, you've completely, let's just, let's just, Pete, let's just face it. People have completely, by the time this is aired, they've completely given up on their new new year's resolutions. They've abandoned it. Bring on the Cheetos. They brought on the Cheetos. They brought on the ice cream. <laughs> they've given up on that treadmill. It's all over till next January. There we go. Well, There's no hope basically is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, so anyways, we're hoping that this podcast gives you hope, but, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the demotivating podcast with John Amayo. No, but in, in all seriousness, you know, as I was thinking about this podcast, um, many of you might not know this, but between my junior and senior year of college, I lost 30 pounds. Hmm. Um, I had actually gained um, the freshman 45. Wow. And um, I just had made terrible decisions in my life. Like there's these things that Applebee's called half half price appetizers. And, um, you know, I bought two of those and uh, each night. And uh, let's just say, I remember the biggest part that changed. It wasn't even just the way I looked. Like I was getting up earlier and just how important this conversation is almost to the point of going to the opposite side. And John, I know that you try to eat healthy, Jim. I mean, in all seriousness, how are you thinking about engaging this topic? Well, I'm I'm excited because we got an expert with us today. So this is this is fun and I'm going to ask lots of questions about delts and traps and uh <laughs> you know, quads and tries and all of that stuff, uh, because we got someone who's a real pro here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I try to be healthy, but I noticed that even, you know, with myself, it, it tends to, to wane at different times and, and finding one thing that can kind of be consistent across the board. I feel like in my life has been one of those things that's, um, been a lot of trial and error involved in that. So, you know, recently, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, I started doing the keto thing. Yeah, that's all the rage now where, uh, you know, you drop the carbs out and you eat lots of fatty foods. I don't know what the difference between that and Atkins is. I'm, I'm going to ask our expert because that's going to, that's one of the burning questions on my mind, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not even really doing this officially. As you can tell, I'm just, just decided to cut out carbs and eat a lot of bacon. And that's kind of my, my diet plan and it's working, but, uh, anyway, it's working yeah. quote unquote <laughs> working. I have not had blood levels quote unquote checked <laughs> recently. So I I don't know if this is, you know, my cholesterol could be through the roof, but I'm feeling fantastic. Uh, anyway, all that said, people need, know, need to know about my workout regimen right now. I think it'd be better for them to hear directly from our guest today. Uh, April, Ho, April Ho, thank you so much for joining us here on the Why God Why podcast. Great to have you with us. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's jump right into it. You are a dietitian. You're a personal trainer. This is what you do for a living. But let's take a step back. How, how did you first become passionate about this topic? I think for me, like even as a very young person, I knew that I cared about health and my body and living a long time. Um, but there were definitely a couple specific I don't know if turning points is what you want to call it, but specific, specific pivotal moments. Um, and I think the first one, um, well, you know, as a kid, one of the first things that you learn about health in America mm. is that skinny is healthy mm. and skinny is beautiful. Right. right. That's like the first thing that, you know, if you're just an observant human mm -hmm. alive in America. Um, and so that was on my mind and I was not that skinny as a child. So I was very envious of skinny people. Mm. And I remember one time in middle school, I don't know if I was in health class or what, but one of my teachers 
advise the entire classroom to eat until you are um, not hungry, not to eat until you are full. Okay. Okay. So for some reason, this really sunk in with me. Mm. And I did that. And I actually lost a lot of weight to the point where in middle school, I stopped menstruating. Wow. Which is maybe more information than you gentlemen want to know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, and I also noticed at that time, like I was eating healthy, quote unquote, lots mm-hmm. of vegetables. You know, I was not like I was skipping meals. I was just trying to exercise, eat healthy, all of the things that, you know, you learn in school are healthy habits. Um, and in addition to not menstruating, I also noticed that my, my swimming times were getting slower. So mm-hmm. I was a competitive swimmer for, from way back. Um, and so even in middle school, I could kind of tell like, okay, my, my body has stopped performing some pretty basic functions. And so maybe there's a little bit more of a delicate balance here, Mm. you know, in terms of what it means to, to be healthy, to have a healthy body and to, to eat and exercise healthy. Um, so I think that kind of got me started on this journey. And then, the longer you live, the more people you see who have been influenced by diet changes, and that only fuels the the interest and fuels the fire. So, you know, before we go any further, um, you know, I've known you for a long time. I've never heard that story, and you know, we are talking about body image. You know, I think it's fairly important. You know, share with us the kind of the journey of that. Um, I mean, that's pretty radical, and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners can really relate to that process of, um, it may not be extreme, but, you know, I see people go from, you know, I'm thinking about the biggest loser. They go from all of a sudden they're a chubby person to all of a sudden they're skinny and like trying to get to a place that you're, I mean, just share a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) I guess me and my body have been on a, a very long and windy journey. Um, you know, I think after after that point, I, I made some changes and was able to get to a more healthy place. But, you know, going past that, even today, it's a very relevant question for me in a whole different way in terms of why, God, why do I have this body? Um, because, again, starting from very young, I kind of think I prided myself a little bit on what my body can do because it was evident to me that my body can do some things that lots of other people's bodies just cannot. Um, so like sports always came very easily to me. I was always very strong. Um, and so I always, you know, my body can do lots of stuff. And recently I had a baby and I learned lots of things that my body cannot do. Mm. And that was incredibly upsetting, upsetting to my identity, um, just upsetting in so many ways um, to go through the whole uh, process of pregnancy and then labor and then breastfeeding. There was physical challenges for me at every single one of those stages that I didn't necessarily um, anticipate. And so in a lot of ways, that was really disappointing for me. And I did ask this question, why God, why did, why do I have this body? Mm. Why couldn't I have had one of those other bodies that, you know, does this, that, or the other thing? Um, in pregnancy or gets through labor really easily or, or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, for me, this question has meant a lot of different things at a lot of different points in my life. And if you don't mind sharing with us, like what was that labor process like for you? I know that was not on the, that's not on our, that's not on our pre-discussion list here, but I know that some people like, like we tend to skip over that. Like I've, I've witnessed, you know, my wife having our children and, you know, I know Peter's been a part of witnessing his child being born, but neither one of us have experienced that. I have grown in respect for women like tenfold after watching that, but what was that? Pro- we don't often talk about it. Like, yeah. what was that? Like, it's it just becomes this like side convo that never happens. Like, what? Yeah. Or it it happens and we're not invited. Yeah, to yeah, it. that that could very well <laughs> be, and there's right, probably reasons for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Um. Well, the whole process started three days before the baby came. Wow. That whole labor process, Whoa. having contractions. You know, I remember I, I 
had the baby on a Thursday morning. Monday night, I had four hours of contractions that kept me awake. Tuesday night, the same thing happened. Going into Wednesday, I was like, let's not have a baby today because I'm tired. And I'm not in the headspace to like be in hours and hours of pain. Um, But sure enough, Wednesday was the day that I ended up going into the hospital and um, it was horrible. It was hor- It was the worst night of my life that had the best result, but it was the worst. And not yeah. in like, it was the worst, yeah. but the best too. Like, no, right. it was just the worst. It was just the worst night. Right. Um, <clears throat> and one of my big disappointments was that I ended up asking for an epidural. I really wanted to do things as naturally as possible, uh, but it just became abundant me, abundantly clear to me that, um, my emotional, I was just going to clench everything. We were not going to progress unless I could find a way for my body to relax. And then if you can't progress, you end up with a C-section, which is not what anyone wants, you know, going into things. Um, so yeah, so it, um, so I went to the hospital. There was a lot of hours. I finally, um, before I got an epidural, I got water shots which sound benign, right? Yeah. A shot of water into That's... your back. How could that be a bad thing? Oh, I was picturing little glass little glass <laughs> shots. Uh, sorry, I just, shot, I, I'd shot. never heard of that before, so yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I, anyway, I yeah. I hadn't either, I hadn't either. I think it's like, it was a procedure that they used to do and then they stopped doing it and now they're doing it again. Oh. So it's where they shoot pure water um, right underneath your skin and your back and it's supposed to help with back labor, which is what I had. I never had any uh. kind of pain in my abdomen. And actually earlier that day, I had a, like a week past your due date, you have like a checkup with your doctor. And they told me, I told them I was having contractions. They told me you're not in labor because you're not feeling pain in your abdomen. You're feeling it in your back. So I was like, well, if I'm not even in labor yet, then let's just schedule the C-section right? (laughs) because I am in a lot of pain. Um, but so I had back labor the whole time. It's supposed to help, but that pure water going into your skin burns like Novocaine times 100. It uh, was so painful. Wow. It was the worst. Yeah. So we did that. Then we did the epidural. Then I was fine. Took a nap. Woke up. Had a baby. Here we are. Wow. Yeah. You know, so as a man listening to it, <laughs> I I don't think, and I'm thinking of some of our listeners that they're single males and like the temptation is to turn off. But I, I mean, there's just an honest truth of listening to you and thinking about besides worrying about your body, you have to worry about a baby coming out of you on top of all the pain. And then you even mentioned breastfeeding. You know, I just remember like feeling so helpless with my wife and I probably like, I mean, just even hearing this now I'm thinking, I'm looking at John, like I'm thinking about like how even to be there in the midst of like all of that, especially with body, because there's so many mixed messages, you know? Yeah. So, you know, after you have the baby, so I tore, so then Mm. I had to get stitches and then there's this whole healing process, right? That you're trying to do while breastfeeding a baby. And my baby just, it felt like fire and glass was coming out of my breasts. That's the best way to describe it. Wow. Just to be totally honest. <laughs> and so you're trying to you're trying to navigate that, right? Um, and I remember thinking, like, there's all these posters in the hospital because they always try and, like, promote breastfeeding, right? They say, like, create peaceful moments, breastfeed your baby. And I was like, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tear all those down. <laughs> those are lies. <laughs> I'll right? show you a peaceful moment, all right. Right. So yeah. you're trying, like, you're... You have stitches, you're trying to heal, and then um, where you've gained all this weight, too. And so you're trying to, like, get back to your normal body. And if you Google, how long does it take to get back to a normal body after having a baby, you will find all of the medical articles written by medical professionals that will say your uterus will shrink to its normal size after six weeks. Which makes you think after six weeks, like we're gonna be good to go. But then you see all these like blogs with women who have actually had babies, and some of them are like, you know what, I'm still not back to normal, and it's been 20 years, and and so you're just like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? And so just the whole, you know, uncertainty of like your your body did this thing, and then where is your body gonna be in the future? 
while trying to like adjust to having a new baby breastfeeding, I also had three stepkids. So there was an adjustment there as well. It's just so much going on. Um, and then at the same time, feeling like your body is inadequate is really hard. Well, let's come back. Um, I think we're going to come back to your story, but you work in the health field as a trainer and a dietitian. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about their bodies that you encounter? Yeah. So I don't, I think there's two really big misconceptions that people have about health in general. Mm. Okay. So maybe not necessarily about their body, but health in general. And um, so one misconception is, is why do people care about their health? People really don't understand why they care about their health. The other misconception is um, people don't really understand that there are good reasons not to make a change towards health. Okay, so I'll describe what I mean by both of those because they yeah. probably don't really make sense. So, <clears throat> um, so why do you care about health? Most people, a lot of people, when they come to me, they describe their health journey as a list of things that they should be doing. I should lose weight. I should eat more fruits and vegetables. I should drink more water. Should, should, should. And um, I work with uh, a therapist and uh, used to work with a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And one thing they taught me about was something called an introject, mm -hmm. which is where someone else's voice becomes internalized in your own mind. Right. right. So right. you grow up, your doctor tells you you, you should lose weight. Maybe your spouse tells you, maybe your parents told you a long time ago. Right. So after a while, those voices can become internalized. So you think that they're coming from you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like a tape player that plays over and over inside of your head. Right. And or not, not a tape player for the kids these days, but whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. an MP3 or <laughs> sure. a podcast. podcast or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Just playing over and over. Uh, so it can become kind of indistinguishable from your own voice. So you think, okay, I'm internally motivated to do this, mm -hmm. but really that voice is coming from someone else. And for a lot of people, the result of an introject is is to rebel against it. Mm -hmm. So understanding why you care about health or why you're trying to make the changes that you do is going to have a big impact on your ability to actually make them. Mm. Um, and so if you are someone that yourself says, I should, 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 should do this, you are maybe someone who should take a, take a closer look at why, because when I describe things that I'm doing for myself, I usually say that I want to do them. Right. Mm -hmm. I love working out. So when I don't go to the gym, I say, I wish I could have gone to the gym. I wanted to do that. I don't say I should have done it. Mm. I said I wish that wish that could have been a reality for me today, but it wasn't. You know. Yeah. Um, if my wife was here, she would say, and this is you know mental health therapy. Quit shooting yourself. Yes, we say that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. look at I'd that. Say that too. Wow. Um, <laughs> so and then but, the well, can can I push yeah. pause push pause on that for just a sec because I think some of us are going like well. Okay, then I just will never go to the gym because I don't ever want to go to the gym. Like, then shouldn't you go to the gym? Then, then you just <laughs> then then you just eliminate that part from your life completely because that sounds pretty nice. Like after I go to, so here's I'm, I'm I'll speak from John. When I go to the gym afterwards, I'm like that was fantastic. I really I'm glad I went. Beforehand, I'm like I want to invent every solution I can to not go because it does not seem great to me in the moment same for running outside i loathe running afterwards i'm like that was fantastic that was great i'm so energized right now so like what's the distinction there is well, there a distinction or but, no but let me just push back a little bit on yeah. what you said oh, so and then i want to hear yeah. because like so going to the gym for me has become like a habit or a lifestyle like i feel when i don't go but there's certain things like if i could play you know, in all five, five of myself, if I could play <laughs> basketball three times a week and I knew that there were 10 guys like working out would be awesome, mm. but that's just not a reality. So I think in some senses, like, so I guess I'm kind of curious to hear, like, there are some people that like they go to the gym and, you know, I go to planet fitness and like the lunk alarm gets off, like <laughs> they literally get a high. So I don't know how that fits in, but 
there's times where I feel like you, but there's other times when like doing physical activity is actually enjoyable. So sure. I'm no, I know that that's not the majority of our listeners. That's probably not even the majority of us, but I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, so you're kind of asking about enjoyment of, of different activities. Yeah. I think there's, um, there's some truth to that. There's some, there might be some ways to be physically active that someone genuinely enjoys and then others that, um, that you don't enjoy, but John, you even what you described was you're, that you're still getting a benefit out of it. Yeah. Right. So there are things that I want to do, like budgeting, mm-hmm. that I don't want to do because I like budgeting. Right. I want to do it because I genuinely like the benefit that it gives me is is something that's worth it for me. Right. Right. So right. so. There's still internal motivation there, even though there's kind of this like hump that I have mm. to get over of something that I don't enjoy. Right. Does that, does that answer your question? Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I just think that's an important thing for people to, you know, cognitively like embrace that. Yeah. Sometimes there's a tension there. We might not want to in the moment, but yet we do want to. Like we want the deeper thing. We want the deeper part of it. Right. Like, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, part of, having a healthy relationship with food and exercise is being able to be aware physically and emotionally mm-hmm. of what's going on in your body. And so if you never went to the gym, you would probably experience some sensations both physically and emotionally that you would want to change. Yeah. Right. And then that might guide you back towards the path of working out more or eating differently or whatever. Let's yeah. let's come back to your second point because yeah. that was really interesting. Can you repeat that one more time? Yeah. So there are good reasons not to make a change towards health. Okay. And this is something that the world, the media would not have us believe, right? You've never, you're never going to see a health ad that's like, go to the gym. It's going to ruin your life. Yeah. Right? No, no one's going to say that. Um, everyone wants you to think, Lose weight, eat healthy. Only good things can come from this. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but what I deal with, with um, a lot of my patients, especially weight loss patients, is um, ambivalence, which a lot of people think just means not caring. But it actually means that you care very strongly in two opposite directions. So at the same time, someone comes to me really, really wanting to make this change to be healthier. And they also come to me with a very strong desire to protect their current way of living mm. because it's benefiting. If it wasn't benefiting them in some way, they wouldn't be do they wouldn't be doing it right. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have this lifestyle. Um, and so, in the in the theory that I used to think about motivation, and and I learned this from my office when I started my job, we use self determination theory, and there's kind of three main psychological needs that need to be fulfilled in order to have motivation and progress towards health. And these things are relatedness, autonomy, and competence. Okay. And so if, if these things are being undermined, um, you're not going to be motivated. And, and there's some good reasons there why not to make a change. So I'll give some examples, right? So let's take autonomy. Autonomy means doing something for yourself, right? Most people who have extra body fat have experienced at some point in time someone making a comment to them that they had no business doing so, Mm. right? It might even be a positive comment, right? You lost weight. You look so great. Okay, but like, why do we we think it's okay to, to say that in public to someone like, Hey, you're, you're improving yourself. Like I wouldn't walk up to someone in church and be like, Hey, I heard you stop cheating on your wife. Congrats. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that would be really abrasive mm. and I would never do that. And to some of my patients, they have told me that's how they feel when people comment on their weight, whether it be for a good or a bad reason, they feel like someone's calling them out on this thing that's imperfect about them. They have, no problem doing so in a public setting. Hold on one second. That, um, mm-hmm. like, I feel guilty because I've said that to people. <laughs> yeah. So I, which, I honestly have too. Right. Well, yeah. but mm-hmm. help me understand. So I actually want to come to your affair thing because that's a great example. Yeah. So I, I don't see 
telling someone that they've lost weight unless they told. And again, this is it sounds subjective, but I wouldn't see going to someone saying, hey, great job of not cheating this week. But I might say like, hey, great job of taking your wife on a date like that was really meaningful or, you know, great job of putting together your daughter's, you know, um, your daughter's uh, dollhouse. Like, what's the difference there? I mean, Basically, Pete and I like to encourage people about everything. So that's just, that's just, that's you show, that's what we want to know. You, like, you, you showed up, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think, I think it's a very fine line and the line exists in a different place for different people. There are people who love when you comment on, you know, how great they look and you're doing so great. There's people that love that. And then there's people that don't love that. Mm. Um, just, you know, for a lot of people, there's just this huge guilt around their weight. It's like an emotional, like like a sin, mm. right? They feel it's like attached to it. And so just to have someone kind of like call that out, because the thing is, too, for people who are overweight, like one of my patients said there was a employee at Wegmans who used to make those kind of comments, not not a personal friend. You know, people in public, he'd just been going to Wegmans for a long time and he was losing weight and, and this person, you know, wanted to encourage him, but he was like, you don't even know me. Why are you, why are you pointing out like, like good for you for changing that bad thing about yourself. We all uh, noticed that there was like a bad thing there uh, yeah. and good for you for that's making good. that change. So that's, that's how it good. felt to him. Um, does that answer your no, that's great. So let's go. So it's autonomy. And then yeah. what's the second one? Um, so the second one is relatedness. So I'm going to give another example of a patient that I had. So, well, the need for relatedness, right, is just what it sounds like for a relationship. We all have this need. So um, I had this patient who who shared with me over my time with her that she really has never been able to stand up for herself in so many ways. She didn't really want kids. Here we are with two kids. Like that kind of big life decisions she hasn't been able to uh, to take control of for herself. Um, but she has this thing about Thanksgiving dinner because she has three sisters and a mom, or maybe it's two sisters and a mom. They come for Thanksgiving dinner, and every year she asks them not to bring dessert because she's trying to lose weight. And so she says she'll provide like the one dessert, and she asks people not to bring desserts. They always bring desserts. She also every year has to make three different entrees because her two sisters and her mom all want something different, but none of them um, offer to bring any of the entrees. So she makes a turkey, she makes a ham, and then she makes a third entree type thing, right? Wow. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, I'd be yeah. like, you don't have to come to Thanksgiving. Like yeah. that's, that's my attitude about it. If you're coming to my house, you can eat whatever I make, but this is not her attitude. So her, kind of like inability to to take control just over the course of time, people come to expect that they're going to interact with her in a certain way, right? There's certain family dynamics develop. And so for her to all of a sudden be like, I'm putting my foot down, I'm making one entree, was just going to upset the apple cart and totally mess up her relationship with her sisters and her mom in a way that was just not acceptable to her. So it was like... She'd rather continue struggling with obesity than to deal with the, this like huge, you know, problem of relatedness. And I, and I think that that's like a valid, you know, we need to uh, to recognize that that's a significant struggle and that so, there's a downside there to making change. Yeah. So as you're talking, I'm just I'm I'm <clears throat> kind of playing out that scenario in my head and going. Some people would react differently to that. And when it comes to even the the object of food, like some people might say, I don't have any say in any other way in my life, but I have say personally in this. And so I'm going to obsess over food. Do you see people do that in that? Is that, is that an outflow of that relatedness thing too? Like, like I don't have control over this relationship, but I can have control over how much food I have. So I'm going to kind of fixate on this rather than the relational side of things. Is that what you're getting to well, or no? Well, let me, let me try this example and then correct. So, yeah. cause just, so there was a string in my marriage where <laughs> like it's Friday night and it's been a long week and I'd get home 
And I would be like, I just want to do something nice for Robin. So I would drive to Wegmans, go to the bulk section and get gummies and then get, you know, so we'd get the Sour Patch Kids and then I get ice cream and I'm sitting here in some ways like there's probably a healthy sense of it's the weekend. Let's, but then there's also this unhealthy sense of like, we're relating with food. I mean, is that kind of the example of kind of what, yeah, I mean, well, actually, so, um, so you're both wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think they're all, there's not, there's not one way that, that relatedness can be undermined. There's, there's a lot of ways. Um, and I think, being undermined in your relationships can lead to both undereating, overeating, right. eating only specific things, right? No one might notice a change in your weight, but you might only eat chicken and broccoli, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, it, Peter, to your example, actually this uh, patient also uh, struggled with her husband because she he would always bring her home ice cream in the name of, I'm doing this for you, but she didn't want it, and he was the one that wanted to eat it, mm. really. He mm. was really bringing it home for himself, but he would always say, I'm bringing it home for you. She didn't want to upset the apple cart and throw away the ice cream that he supposedly bought for her, or like return it, right? And so she just felt like it was going to tear apart her marriage. She really told me she felt it was going to put a significant dent in her marriage if she were to really say, that's not helpful mm. for me. I'm really trying to make a change, and I don't want it. See, um, what what you're describing, I, I have a whole new appreciation for dietitians and, and physical trainers now, because I think what you're describing is a level of, like, counseling that people probably don't realize that you probably encounter, like, on a daily basis, that as I think yeah. about what, like, even approaching this conversation, like, you're taking it five levels deeper than most people, I think, think of it. Well, yeah. and and just to come back to that, like, I think sometimes we look at health as the straight path. And like our original question is on body image, but it's so funny. It's, it's really, there's about 30 different detours. Yeah. So like for someone to lose weight, you know, I now have to navigate my husband who, you know, who loves me, who buys me ice cream and I can't throw it away. Or I now have to navigate, like, I think about this. I mean, I joke about this at church, but, like, every organization, like, Wegmans, and they, like, drop us off. Like, we get, like, 10 cookie things for Christmas. Like, and just the feeling of, like, wasting that or getting rid of that. Like, there's so many different dynamics of every area that it is a lot of counseling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of can't avoid it um, because especially with anyone that comes in with any kind of body image thing or a lot of weight loss patients, you really can't avoid it. And a lot of people uh, will come and you might even recommend, um, you know, checking out a therapist or a counselor of some kind. And they have no interest in doing that, but they have no problem talking to Mm. the dietitian. Right. So um, so a good dietitian will address it in some way or seek training on how to address it. I mean, I, um, I've received a little bit of training from the the therapists that I work with, but the more that I learn about it too, the more I realize how much I don't know (laughs) Mm. about, you know, psychology and counseling, but, um, but it's made such a big difference in how I work with people. And I had a, a weight loss group that ended recently and we do these surveys where, you know, people, um, fill out at the beginning of the program and the end of the program, how hopeful they feel about losing weight, how energized they feel. And so I had this one group whose numbers plummeted over the course of the group. And, but I had the most honest conversations with these people about their lives, Mm. their relationships, their marriages. Like by the end of, it was a six month program. And by the end of the program, I thought, this is the first time that these people really understand the barriers that they're facing, wow. which to me is incredibly hopeful. I'm like, I feel more hopeful for this weight loss cohort mm. than any other cohort I've run because they fully understand where they're starting from. Wow. Um, so my, my boss was kind of like, what's going on there? And I was like, they're going to be fine. Like they're, they're going to, they're going to go on and they're going to, progress. Mm. Um, and we have a lot of people that join our weight loss group several times because 
do you expect someone to like do all of this emotional work in six months or even a year or two years is ridiculous. So, so autonomy, relatedness, and what's the third one? Yeah, the third one is competence. And so that just means you really need to be like appropriately challenged and you need to believe that your actions are going to have the consequences that you want them to have. So for someone who's like trying to lose weight and they've tried a million times and it's not worked, right, that undermines your motivation because why am I going to put all this effort towards, you know, weight loss or towards being healthy or whatever thing again when it's never proven to do me any good in the past. And that's also valid. Like you need to come and and join with someone in that. Like they're you're asking them to make this huge change and they need to know that it's going to do something. Right. Um so so yeah, so I think those are just two huge misconceptions that like you kind of mentioned people don't go that deep. They right. want like the simple answer to stay on the surface and not what it is. <clears throat> As you're counseling people, I'll use that term because sure. I think that's a lot of what you're doing. But even even advising people because you're you're talking people through their diet, through exercise. Do you have like one thing that you're like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of this is the system that I kind of run for everybody, or do you say do you kind of tailor things to each individual and go? I think. This is what you need as an individual. This is what this person needs, um, or is it more? Yeah, I you have yeah. a philosophy that you kind of say everybody should do this. Um, I think that a similar thing that I do with a lot of people is to um, to get people thinking about their values. Hmm. I do that with most people. So, sure. um, and you kind of said something that alluded to it earlier. Uh, one of the one of the pre questions that you had sent me was like, why, what what advice would you give to people falling off their New Year's resolution motivation? Right. Um, and something the way that I think about it is stop. It was their motivation to eat healthy, <clears throat> and the first thing that came to my mind was stop trying to eat healthy, and start trying to live your life. And what I mean by that is, what do you value? You don't really value eating healthy because sometimes it's not that fun. Right. Right. You don't, there's no immediate change in the moment. Right. It's like when people tell me they're here because they want to change their cholesterol numbers. Mm -hmm. No one really cares about their cholesterol numbers. There's, you can't feel them. It's right. an abstract number. What you care about is that you don't want to have a heart attack. It would be very uncomfortable. It might end your life sooner than you want it to. Right. You have all this family maybe that you want to live before. That's what you care about. Um, <clears throat> so something that I do with everyone is to get them thinking about their values and how that relates to their health. So I actually will do this exercise where I give people 60 values, like on cards. The values could be working with your hands. It could be uh, your faith. It could be helping others. It could be being creative or being adventurous or being in charge, right? Anything that you could value is on these cards. Um and, and so we'll kind of go through what's, what's, what are their top values. And a lot of times people have a really hard time pairing health with the values, right? And so, um, you know, I've had some people that are like, I care about feminism and social justice, and I don't see how that relates. But to me, like a huge part of feminism is demanding that people care and respect, care about and respect women's bodies mm -hmm. and... How are you going to ask other people to respect your body if you're not respecting your body? So to me, health is actually a huge part of feminism and social justice. Or, um, you know, people in the church might might care about being a good steward of what God has given you. And your body is like the first thing. Like before you even had thoughts or a brain, you had a body that was like the first thing that God gave you. Um, so there's just all these things that people can care about. And a lot of times there's some way that your health fits into that. But that's really the only thing that I do with most patients. Yeah. Everything else is just like branches off of whatever they came in for, whatever they're telling me. You know, it's, um, it's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, going to a Christian college, you know, John, I don't know if you experienced this in April, you know, just mentioning the church, you know, um, it was hard listening to, 
a pastor or speaker that would go to old country buffet every week, but tell people that drinking beer was bad or that smoking was bad because there, mm-hmm. there's some cognitive dissonance and all of us to a certain extent are hypocrites, but kind of what you're bringing up there is just, you know, this, you can't value one thing and respect it and then say it another way. And I'm sure that for our listeners that might be de-churched or unchurched, like mm-hmm. we see Christians all the time do that. It's like, don't, you know, don't, don't smoke pot. Like <laughs> we need to stop the smoking of pot. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I have no problem going to Golden Corral and like eating eight. I don't know why I'm on like a buffet. <laughs> P- Ponderosa, bingo. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Oh, so, I used to love yeah, Ponderosa. Yeah, yeah. None of them sponsor our podcast, so I think we're okay. Not, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. But they might. In which case, if they do, then everybody should go eat at Golden Corral. No, I'm, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, do you, have you sensed that kind of in Christian communities? And John, I'd be curious your thoughts on that too, because especially when it comes to health. Just a sense like a little bit of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually, I've had several um, pastors that have ended up in my office at, at one point or another. And so um, a lot of times we bring that in uh, to the discussion, like, you know, being good stewards of of what God has given you and what it, what it means to, to value your body from a from a Christian perspective or why would you do that from a Christian perspective? It's a totally different conversation than with someone who's not a Christian. Let's, uh, let's start framing this, you know, a little bit more spiritually, you know, the, the job that you're doing and this conversation has gone so fast. I love it. Um, you know, talk to me about how you personally coming back to your story, how you see that you're created in God's image and how that motivates you towards health and how that kind of in some ways helps it be realistic, but it also helps you move further. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I'm, (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to go in the direction that you, you want me to, but, um, there's no direction. We, we very rarely have a direction we want you to go. Would you just, you just, wherever you take it is cool. So, you know, you brought up like being made in God's image and, um, you know, what that means for me and and how that might motivate me. Um, And I think that it's very important for someone struggling with body image uh, to go back to what your image is of God. Mm. Right. Um, So the question of the podcast is why God, why did you have to give me this body? And I would ask people to give, give it a guess, you know, try and answer that question. If I had to state it as a, as a statement, God gave me this body because in your heart of hearts, what would you say? If mm. you're upset about your body, would, would that sentence be finished because he doesn't care about me? Or would it be finished because he doesn't love me because he made a mistake because all of those answers have big implications for what is your image of God. And, um, you know, it's all of it comes back to any struggle that you have with your body image comes back to the issue of physical and emotional suffering. And why would God allow that? And that's a much a different question and a bigger question, but it's, it's all wrapped up together. And your image of God is going to have a lot to do with how you see yourself. And, you know, we could say this like hippy dippy answer of God made you perfect, right? We all have heard that before. God made you perfect. You're perfect the way you are. Your body's perfect. But he didn't really make anything in the world perfect. He made it to accomplish his perfect purpose. So, you know, we don't really say that about anything else. Right. We don't say, you know, when God has, and there's a tsunami, we don't say, God made that tsunami perfect. You know, no one says that. That We're all like, this world is an imperfect place. And I don't think that our bodies are any different, but just like everything else in this world, that they were made on purpose to 
to accomplish his his purposes. Mm. Um, and so for me, that's like the biggest way. And I found myself asking that question. What like after I, um, after I had my baby, there was like nights at two a.m., three a.m. when I was sitting there with my baby, and I was like, I don't think God cares about us. Mm. And you might think, what a horrible thing to say to a baby, but better to be honest, I think, than to say something, you know, than to pretend you're not struggling. Right. right? And so there was times that I thought that he he must not care about me. Mm. He must not care about us if he's going to, you know, let us have, Mm. he's going to let me have this body or if he's going to let us have these struggles. Um. And so I, for me, that's like what, what it all comes back to spiritually are, are those questions and, and really challenging myself to think, okay, what, what is my image of God? Do I believe that he's good? Do I believe that he made me on purpose? And if I have no idea what his purpose is, am I okay with knowing that my body was made for that purpose? Am I still okay with that? Mm, yeah. So, so good questions. So good questions. Yeah. So good. Well, I mean, I think that just flows naturally into the the question that we kind of end with every episode here. And that's what would what would Jesus say about this topic? I think in some ways you've you've addressed that already, but um, Peter and I will give a, a stab at this and then we'll let you close it up with yeah. what you think Jesus would say about this topic. Peter, you want to go first? I can go first. I don't care. Whatever. This is just so good. I'm my my mind's melting right now. So well, I um, it's so hard to follow what April just said because mm. I I think as a church we want to rush to solutions, mm. whereas I think the Bible's far more comfortable with what does God really love me? Does God really care? But um, I'm just as I've been thinking, you know, Jesus had a body. Like let's just say it the way it is. Jesus had a body. That body, you know, was a baby. We just celebrated Christmas. That baby grew up to be a little boy, to be a teenager. You know, there's a verse in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor in God with man. And that body ultimately suffered and died on a cross and then resurrected. That's a body. Like, it, it wasn't like a spirit like an actual body. And so I guess I don't have anything super profound except for the fact that like, as we go through this, you know, and as I think about my journey, you know, and I look in the mirror and, you know, when it comes to my body, it's not always the weight. You know, I, I joke about my height, you know, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player, but I am created the way God created me. And Jesus knows those struggles. And, um, yeah, just as I was listening to April, those were the things that were coming in my mind. Yeah, man. I think that's, those were some of the same exact things that I was thinking of as I was listening to April talk. I mean, I think one of the first um, heresies that the early church had to deal with was something that was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism essentially said physical world bad, spiritual world good. And I think in a way, what we can be tempted to do even today is buy into that same lie, like physical world, bad, spiritual world, good. Depends on where, where you're, what Christian group you're associated with, but, but some of us kind of lean more toward that than others. Um, and I think it's just good to, to say, you know what? No, actually Jesus had a physical body. Like that was part of this whole thing that needed to be addressed is because the physical world was bad, Jesus couldn't have had a physical body. That was kind of what they said. And and there's whole books of the Bible that are written specifically to address that, like first, second, third John. They're written to address that specific issue. Um, and if Jesus had a body, um, that means that that's okay that that we are concerned with that too. But he but at the same time. He didn't obsess over it. As a matter of fact, he talks about like how much God does care about you, even when you don't believe it. Like mm-hmm. he talks about the caring. If if God cares enough for the birds and the flowers to give them such beauty, how much more does he care about you? And will take care of you. And when he's saying that, he isn't just talking spiritually, he's talking about physical things. So um 
Pete's reminds me that that this isn't a side conversation. This is actually an important part of following mm-hmm. Jesus is actually what we do with our bodies. So anyway, that's where my mind went with this. But April. Yeah, I think also listening to Peter, something that I didn't even think about, you know, as I was asking myself these questions that you sent me for the podcast was like, I, God, Jesus knew that, that God loves us, but I'm sure he asked this question of God. Mm. Why God, why did you have to give me this body? Mm. You know, when he's in, in the gardens asking God, is there any other way that we can do this? You have to think that he at some point was like, why did I have to be here with this body about to experience this pain? And so, and I think that that's really, really powerful. And I think that when we're asking ourselves this, this question, um, I think that what Jesus would have to say about it would be to not stop with that question, right? I, there's more questions. If you're, if you're wondering why God, why did you give me this body? There's other questions that are begging to be asked, and um, and I think it's important that we not force ourselves to be thankful for our body. I don't think God wants us to do that. I think He wants us to fight with Him until we are thankful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what God would have to say. Wow, this has been a remarkable episode. April, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Just a reminder, you can find out more about the Why God Why podcast at whygodwhypodcast.com. We are on social media, um, WGW Podcast. uh, That's our handle. Um, Also, remember this uh, sharing is caring. Um, and, um, as I would like to say, please give us a five-star review as John would say, give us a review of what you want. So anyways, but any stars will do any stars will do (laughs) be real. Uh, but we thank you so much for taking time to listening to us. We hope you catch us again on the why God, why podcast. Mm -hmm.